Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Trump's second indictment rocks the presidential race as plans move forward for a Florida trial. DeSantis finally signs the state budget. And Florida is poised for another clash over advanced placement courses. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... Gentlemen, it's time for some numbers. John, what do you have for us today? Yeah, Zach, I do have a number this week, and it's a lucky 13. Oh, man, you're jinxing the podcast early on here. How about you, Antonio? I'm coming just with a simple three. Three, all right, and I'm going high today with a 35 million. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, last week was a wild scene in Florida as Trump was arraigned in a federal courthouse in Miami on 37 felony charges, alleging that he mishandled classified documents. Governor Ron DeSantis and most Republicans immediately came to Trump's defense, alleging a political prosecution. And the GOP base seems to be largely sticking with the former president. Antonio, what can you tell us about how Trump's indictment is playing out politically and what comes next with this case? Well, it's playing out in both political and legal ways. Uh, Politically, look, it's made a pardon of the former president a campaign issue for the first time since 1976. That's when then-President Gerald Ford had to defend his pardon of Richard Nixon in the aftermath of the uh, Watergate crimes. This time, though, candidates like Governor Ron DeSantis are wearing their bully pulpit promise to pardon Trump like a badge of honor, almost like saying they'll come to Trump's rescue like a a knight coming to rescue a a damsel in distress. In fact, DeSantis said he would use the pardon powers, quote-unquote, aggressively. Obviously, the pardon pledge is, is an attempt by the governor and the others to convince the GOP hard right base that they are fully against uh, what they call the, uh, quote unquote, the uh, weaponized, weaponized law enforcement. But overall, the political site 538's review of polling since the indictment shows that, you know, this legal salvo at Trump has done little to move the public opinion needle on the former president either way. That's despite public comments Trump has made since the indictment. There seemed to be quasi-confessions, most notably was his claim in a Fox News interview earlier this week in which he said he kept the boxes with classified documents because he also had personal items interspersed with the top secret files, Uh, which um, did he mean to say that he felt retrieving his personal items like golf artifacts was more important than proper security for some of the nation's top secrets? That was a really bizarre, if not concerning, claim. Yet, But yet, 538's polling average has Trump at standing steady at 53.5% among Republicans, and that's just 0.3%, a fraction of 1% down since the indictment. And again, that's the polling average among Republicans. So, you know, and legally, you know, Trump's indictment uh, put the spotlight on a judge he appointed to the bench when during his single term in the White House. Uh, Yes, District Judge Eileen Cannon was assigned to preside over the case and 
you know, that also drew a lot of scrutiny given some controversial decisions she made last year when Trump was litigating uh, with the federal government, the Justice Department, after the FBI search and seizure of Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Judge Cannon at the time made some rulings regarding a special master that people, legal analysts said, really departed from uh, her, her role in the case and really departed from legal precedent. And in fact, those rulings were overturned and slapped back at her by an appeals court. So the coverage of the case itself and the judge, is, it's almost going to be as, as, as intense as the coverage of Trump and what he did or didn't do in the, as, in the allegations and in the indictment. Um, you know, so like I said, we'll be covering the case, which has all sorts of potential questions. But I'll say one one last thing. Uh, you know, you mentioned the public spectacle that we saw at the courthouse that day in, in Miami. You know, as expected, there were hundreds of supporters and opponents and, and onlookers, people that were just curious were there, as well as a bunch of people dressed as either Uncle Sam, a, a prison inmate and a circus master. But I will say this, the the most telling moment of the day in Miami was after the arraignment when Trump was headed back to Miami International Airport and he stopped at the uh, Versailles restaurant, which is a, a landmark of Cuban-American politics and social life in Miami. And But here's the thing. The mood there wasn't jubilant or, or defiant. Rather, you had a rabbi and a minister offered prayers in English and in Spanish and patrons shouted words of encouragement like, you know, Jesus loves you and we love you and so forth. So that moment, that atmosphere served to show that there was an, seemed to be an acknowledgement that Trump does face serious legal jeopardy here. And the last thing I'll say to this is, you know, the indictment promises to bring the trial of the millennium. I mean, we're not going to just say it's a century here. We're going to go the entire thousand, next thousand years. We'll, we'll call it for the next thousand years. It's going to be <laughs> in Fort Pierce, Florida. And you may recall that Fort Pierce a year ago got 15 minutes of fame when we, they, they were the host site for the DeSantis debate against Democrat Charlie Crist. Well, Fort Pierce is now going to really be on the map when the entire planet descends on that town uh, on the Atlantic coast, the Treasure Coast town uh, for this trial. Yeah, kind of an unusual place to, to for for the nation's uh, future to sort of hinge here is uh, Fort Pierce, but uh, um, we'll be uh, having pretty aggressive coverage of it. I'm sure we have a paper over there, uh, the Treasure Coast paper. And, and I know, uh, Antonio, you guys at the Palm Beach Post, I'm sure will be keeping a close eye on it. You mentioned the polling averages, um, Antonio, and, and they haven't really moved. I saw um, just the latest poll that came out uh, from Emerson College had Trump at 59% support in the GOP primary to 21% for DeSantis. So a uh, a 38 percent uh, percentage point difference right there. I mean, I did see one poll uh, that that indicated that Trump's favorability might have uh, come down a little bit here. Um, they said that uh, it dropped about 10 points in, in this survey uh, among GOP voters and that that was a statistically significant decline. Um, but overall, he still looks uh, pretty strong. Do you think that there's any opening here for DeSantis to make this electability case? I mean, he doesn't he's not going at Trump directly. He's not he's not it's not a full frontal assault where he's going to uh, criticize him over these legal cases. He just seems to think that there's no appetite for for it within uh, the GOP base. 
But um, as you mentioned, like the atmosphere in Versailles, the, this restaurant, uh, you know, maybe Trump's favorability dips a little bit. Maybe there's sort of a, a little bit of a dawning among Republicans that Trump is in some serious legal jeopardy here. And even if they think that this is a political prosecution, you think that there's maybe some people who are thinking, well, you know, I, I still like Trump, but I'm not sure how electable he is in a general election. Well, that's been the claim. And but here's I, I was talking to a um, a GOP strategist type this week. And, and and this is just one one viewpoint. So, again, don't I wouldn't read too much into it. But the interesting topic is what this person was saying is that the time period, the next two months uh, are going to be kind of interesting along those lines. And the reason two months is because on August 23rd is when the Republican presidential candidates will meet in Milwaukee for their first debate. It's going to be really, if there is going to be that opening, and if it's going to be because of this indictment, and, and as, as, as more details work through the system, um, that first debate may, may be the moment where, particularly if Trump doesn't show up, where these other candidates are going to have the opportunity to basically step out and say, hey, look, make the electability you know, claim, uh, you know, basically raise what's in the indictment, what's come out. Uh, I think that one of the things that this person told me that the really got to watch is not the indictment itself, but Trump's own comments, you know, and more interviews like the one that he did on Fox News with Brett Baer earlier this week uh, could be really damaging. And we may actually see that we may actually see movement in the polls, not massive movement, but enough that by the time that the candidates get to that debate stage that they will feel comfortable, okay, okay, we can really hammer away at the electability issue and, 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 and the actual, and all the legal, and, the, and the, this legal case uh, without offending the base or without seem, seemingly being disloyal or without airing the, you know, taking the side of quote unquote weaponized gov government and weaponized law enforcement and, and the talking points that are out there. So I think, you know, to answer your question, we're gonna, the next, eight weeks or so leading to that debate are going to be crucial. Yeah. And the problem for all of Trump's uh, challengers is they're trying to make this sort of delicate argument and sort of dance around it a bit and say, well, I think that the DOJ is weaponized, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that Trump can can win. And, you know, there, it's not I mean, meanwhile, Trump is just saying witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt. And it's a much more aggressive and straightforward uh, argument. And, and so I think that that plays to his advantage. Um, but you made a good point. I mean, Trump is kind of uh, th that interview with Fox was not great for him. Meanwhile, DeSantis had an interview last night on Fox where was, you know, he was getting softball questions and uh, getting pretty uh, easy treatment. So um, it does seem like that uh, there's the potential there for uh, some of the GOP base to sort of, um, you know, uh, absorb some of this stuff and and uh, quietly move away from Trump a little bit. We'll see how it uh, develops. Well, as DeSantis campaigns for president, he's still trying to tie up some loose ends from the legislative session that ended in early May. The governor finally signed the state budget last week, more than a month after it was approved by the legislature. DeSantis also released his list of budget vetoes, and there's been some speculation that the governor really kind of held on to this budget for a while so he could use it as leverage over lawmakers and also lobbyists to get support for his presidential campaign. The Florida Democratic Party 
even filed an ethics complaint against some of DeSantis's top aides this week that touches on some of these questions. And Republican State Senator Joe Gruters lashed out uh, at the governor and accused him of political retribution for vetoing projects in Gruters' district. Gruters is the only member of the Florida legislature who has come out in support of Trump. John, it seems like there's been more intrigue around the budget really than normal this year. Yeah, there was real some bipartisan grumbling with the way uh, DeSantis leveled that half a billion dollars of vetoes. Uh, Gruder's the the Trump guy who uh, DeSantis has had a uneasy relationship with uh, going back to when Gruder's was the state Republican Party chairman. Well, his home region of Sarasota and Manatee counties uh, lost about thirty million dollars to vetoes, and uh, and then House Democrats pointed out that forty percent of the one hundred eighty eight projects that they had in the budget were vetoed by DeSantis. Now, that compared with only 16 percent of what was more than 1,300 projects that Republicans got in it. Um, so again, DeSantis playing hardball, I guess I guess that's nothing new these days. Uh, but but the final action on the budget was was slow rolled to DeSantis by legislative leaders, and that gave him time to campaign across the country. And it also raised anxiety among some legislators and lobbyists who, as you pointed out, were they were called by DeSantis staffers about projects that they had in the budget, leaving some with the impression that he was, you know, either demanding an endorsement or campaign contributions, depending on who you were. Um, in the end, uh, DeSantis has been endorsed by 99 of the 113 Republican legislators. And uh, and one veteran lobbyist I spoke to along the way uh, kind of downplayed the effect of the staffers call, saying it that it didn't sound like extortion and that, that he'd heard far worse from other governors through the years. But um, you know, all told, the budget is done for the year beginning July 1st. Uh, there, there's plenty of money in there for this that, that comes in from tax receipts in this state's uh, kind of go-go economy. So uh, that's something DeSantis can point to when he's out there campaigning, along with uh, $1.3 billion in tax cuts that he managed to get into the budget, too, which is a you know formidable amount and uh, is going to play well when you're campaigning in New Hampshire or something like that. Uh, also, he, he managed to take a swipe at the Biden administration with his vetoes, uh, uh, knocking off $24 million dollars in federal money for local governments to promote energy programs. And then he killed another $5 million that uh, was designed from the feds to offset inflation costs for local energy efforts. Uh, I'm sure this is something that uh, he can label woke spending, I suppose. But um, but with the budget behind him, you know, there's only a few more bills still to be signed, and and that could be wrapped up actually this week even. So uh, that that will truly liberate DeSantis from Tallahassee and just let him campaign full time while the state effectively goes on autopilot. The the budget was really the, the biggest thing that he had to to get done here. So um, there's been some talk that we're really not going to see DeSantis in Florida uh, too much over the next few months, that he's going to be out in, in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in South Carolina, in Nevada, and all these uh, early states, um, which, which he already has been quite a bit. Well, the budget debates were largely overshadowed this year by all of the red meat legislation that DeSantis pushed as he geared up to run for president, including expanding the so-called don't say gay law that prohibits classroom instruction about sexual orientation or gender identity. 
These prohibitions now extend to older grades, which could set up a conflict over advanced placement courses that high school students take to get college credit. The Florida Department of Education recently asked for a review of all AP courses to see if they have any LGBTQ material. College Board, the nonprofit that oversees the AP courses, is gearing up for a fight over AP psychology, which has a unit dealing with gender and sexual orientation. College Board says it won't change the course, with officials saying they learned their lesson after they bowed to pressure on the AP African American Studies course, revising it after DeSantis banned it in Florida. Antonio, this is another example of how DeSantis's so-called war on woke is really having some impacts in Florida. It would be pretty notable if AP psych isn't offered in the state. I spoke to somebody who said that students already are, are signing up for it for next year yeah it would be and again it'd be more, one more you know disruption in the already in the florida education landscape which has seen a number of as you just pointed out a number uh, a lot of upheaval but the ASP psych program may, may end up just being another tombstone in florida's woke cemetery uh, you gentlemen you may have heard that florida is where woke comes to die but he, here's the thing that the woke war which is governed as the census key calling card on the campaign trail isn't moving the needle for him in or outside of Florida. All the major pieces of anti-wokeness that the Florida GOP supermajority in Tallahassee approved this spring to bolster DeSantis's White House resume, well, it's not winning over the GOP base. Uh, DeSantis is trailing Trump like we talked about, you know, 30 points in that 538 average and, and by double digiting individual key state polls, which ultimately are are the ones that are could be most telling because that's how you win the nomination state by state, um, which raises a question, namely, has, has DeSantis misread the political tea leaves? And here's what I've been hearing from a couple of corners in the last month or so. And, and the reason I've been told by some GOP voters uh, that, that DeSantis won in a rout last November, they think, is because voters rewarded him for opening the economy fast during the COVID pandemic. And also because he pushed to reopen schools and, and get kids back into classrooms. And because he sided with parents and others who opposed vaccination mandates for travel and general consumerism. Yes, DeSantis was criticized by public health experts uh, that, you know, they were offering much more cautious guidance. And those ex public health experts said that his dismissive view of vaccinations and mask wearing rules unnecessarily led to many more deaths. But the general population, at least the people I've been speaking with, have told me, uh, it suggests that they were simply more concerned with getting back to work, getting back to their normal lives. And that's the reason why they voted for him. Now, though, these same individuals, when I talk to them about things like the woke war, the, the six-week abortion ban, and, and the expansion of Don't Say Gay from third grade through middle school, and the feud with Walt Disney World, they said, you know, the, the feud with Disney seemed more personal. And, Expanding the, the don't say gay, you know, law was seemed a bit excessive and and they weren't so happy with the six week abortion ban. It's a small sampling. So, again, I, I wouldn't stake too much on it, but it does suggest Zach, that that the attack on the AP psych program may be a winner with DeSantis's most ardent supporters. 
but maybe not so valuable for everyone else. And it's it's even something that Trump has tried to undermine a bit. And he uh, had a notable comment where he was saying that, uh, well, I don't even know what the word woke means. People overuse it and and uh, trying to kind of jab at DeSantis for how much he, he uh, repeats this uh, woke stuff all the time. And uh, DeSantis has come back and doubled down on it, really. I mean, I, I was watching one of his most recent speeches and he's like, some people have tried to dismiss uh, woke or say it doesn't matter, but he, but but uh, in Florida we we know that it, it's uh, critical to all uh, defending all types of institutions or whatever, and so uh, you know it, it, he's in so deep on this stuff. Um, that I don't think that he can uh, really change course on it. It's it's really become sort of the the a pillar of his presidential campaign, um, but it's having some of these, um, you know, it, it's it's having some fallout that maybe he didn't completely anticipate. I'm not saying that he isn't uh, interested in going after some of these other AP programs, but it, it'll be um, fascinating to see if this becomes a distraction for him while he's running for president. We'll move on to some numbers here, John. Do you want to uh, talk about yours? Zach, yeah, I have 13, and 13 would have been the number of disciples Jesus had if Ron DeSantis had his way. <laughs> Why the change? Well, well, DeSantis recently sat down for a lengthy interview at the governor's mansion with the Christian Broadcast Network. That's the uh, organization founded by the late Pat Robertson, who, like DeSantis now, once ran for the Republican presidential nomination. Well, in this interview, mostly spent on the role faith has played in the governor's life, a, a big role, DeSantis says, he mentions that one point in history he would have loved to have been there quote, been there with Jesus's disciples. Uh, he, he talks about how Peter went from being a fisherman to fishers of men. Uh, and, and then DeSantis says, uh, these guys all went out and dedicated their lives to spread the gospel. I look back at that and I would have loved to have been there with them. Uh, that, that's kind of his conclusion. Well, look, it, you know, it, it really does seem difficult to imagine our migrant flying gender-affirming, defying, anti-DEI, anti-ESG, anti-woke governor being at ease at Jesus's side when he cured lepers, you know, stopped a woman from being stoned and threw the money changers out of the temple. But, but hey, you know, when you're seeking the evangelical vote in primary states like Iowa and South Carolina, maybe portraying yourself as wishing to be the 13th disciple is, uh, is plausible to some people. Uh, you know, notably this week on, on Juneteenth, uh, a bus rolled through Tallahassee called the Stay Woke Rolling Voter Case. That was uh, organized by the Washington-based Transformative Justice Coalition, and it's partnering with Florida NAACP, among other organizations. While the Stay Woke bus is hitting several cities, and uh, it's urging people to register to vote and stand by their woke principles. And and here in Tallahassee, a prominent minister, the Reverend R.B. Holmes Jr., he said at the bus event, "Don't you know we serve a woke Lord?" So so maybe I'm not the only one having trouble envisioning Peter, James, John, and Ron. That was an interesting interview. Uh, you know, DeSantis. 
uh, he 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 talks about he he laces sort of references to God in in some of his uh, speeches and talks about being the the armor of God. But he he doesn't really wear his his religion on his sleeve so much. And uh, he definitely uh, let it all out in that interview, though. You can tell <laughs> that he's really trying to appeal to the evangelicals as he as he makes Iowa and a very important part of his campaign. Uh, Antonio, you want to tell us about your number? Yeah, I'm not sure I can beat John's number, but I do have three which is the Holy Trinity number, although it doesn't, <laughs> it's not religious or spiritual, but rather three is the number of Florida men who are now candidates for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. That's because uh, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez entered the race last week. And so we have a record number of Floridians seeking to be our next president, Trump, DeSantis, and now the mayor. Now you may say, hold up, wait, we had three Florida men seeking the GOP nomination in 2016. But no, because at the time, Trump was a Manhattan man. And while he spent a good part of the, of the year in Palm Beach, uh, he didn't change his official residency status from New York State to Florida until 2019. You may also say, why does this fellow Suarez think he has a shot? I mean, he's just a mayor. And I will remind you that in 2020, people said the same about former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg's candidacy. And he turned out to be one of the standout Democrats that year and even parlayed it into a cabinet spot as uh, President Joe Biden's uh, current transportation secretary. Now, Suarez entered the race via speech at the Ronald Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California. And he's presenting himself sort of this new age Republican who isn't so fond of the more extremes in the woke war, uh, but rather a proponent of more cutting edge policies. One of the things that Suarez has been known for is trying to make Miami sort of this, uh, you know, Wall Street uh, or Manhattan Wall Street of the uh, the crypto world. Um, his problem is that the recent failure of the cryptocurrency venture FTX, not because Suarez had any connection to it, but because Suarez, as Miami mayor, has been pushing again, like I said, to make Miami this cryptocurrency financial hub, you know, a Manhattan of Wall Street of digital currencies. Now, had FTX continued to be a successful enterprise, the Miami Heat Stadium, for example, was named after the company. You know, that would have bolstered Suarez's claim as his forward-looking leader in a departure from same old, same old politics. Now, FTX failures doesn't keep Suarez from making that claim. Crypto money be- remains a major thing, after all. But had the company not failed and brought a cloud over the crypto market, Suarez, I think, would have had a much stronger case to make with which to separate himself from the crowded field of candidates not named Trump. Nonetheless, I'll say keep an eye on Suarez in this race. He's gotten the attention of GOP mega donor Ken Griffin, and that's enough for the rest of us to be at least at least somewhat attentive to uh, the mayor as well. Yeah, as if we didn't have enough going on in, in Florida with DeSantis and Trump running for president, uh, enter the Miami mayor to make things even more interesting. Well, my number is 35 million. That's how much money the campaigns and allies of DeSantis and Trump already have spent on television advertising nationally and in four early voting states, according to an analysis by Ad Impact. That campaign spending is about to ramp up dramatically with the never back down super PAC supporting DeSantis recently receiving 82.5 million in funds from the governor's state political committee. DeSantis raised more money than any governor in the history of the country. And we're about to see if it can move the needle for him in a presidential race that has so far been dominated by talk of Trump's indictments. Much of the money won't go to ad spending, though. Instead, Never Back Down is organizing a massive door-knocking effort in early states. These voters are about to hear a lot more about DeSantis. We'll see if they like what they hear. 
That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.